Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rays, and I'm not alone. We're not. No, we've got a special guest with us this week. Welcome, Jeremy Burgess, co-founder of The Insurance Network. Well, delighted to be here, lads. Um, looking forward to the chat. Yeah, like your first time on the, on the air. You are also the host of Burgess and Bolton. I am. I'm co-host. Uh, yeah. Myself and Ben Bolton yeah. do a weekly kind of more of a web show. So we do it over LinkedIn and yeah. uh, a bit like you, it's kind of a little bit loose and, and kind of funny. Probably yeah. a bit of fun at the industry, uh, getting on the light side of things. But uh, yeah, we do a bit of that as well. So that's every yeah. Friday at noon. So yes, yeah. that's, that's good fun. It was one of my favorites during the pandemic lockdown when Ben was on there and first getting into the space. So appreciate what the work you guys do there as well. I know we talked about it, but <laughs> we talked about it for a long time. And then the pandemic came along. We just said, look, let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, we've just carried on doing it since. I mean, you know, we have a mass audience of about five. You know, that's, <laughs> that, that's the beauty of things, isn't it? That's a lot of fun. Um, but we wanted, we did want to dive into the insurance network, your work with Tintech as an event, and all things technology and insurance, and everyone's favorite passion, which is which is this combination for us. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, yeah. So we started um, the insurance network. Oh God. 20 years ago, something like that. Um, and at, even at that point, we had some kind of core, we used to call them golden rules mm. around kind of the events that we were going to put on. And this is really because we were kind of sick and tired of putting on events as professional events organizers and then not really mm. living up to expectations, both in terms of delegates and and sponsored. So, so we set up uh, the insurance network, and and the and the core purpose really was to get the right people into the room. And by the right people, we meant senior practitioners from insurers and brokers mm -hmm. to come in and talk about the strategic challenges that are impacting the the industry, and provide a forum for that conversation to yeah. take place because we we felt that was lacking. So we we started off doing some smaller evening panel discussions. And then as the network kind of grew and people kind of trusted us, uh, we started to put on the conferences. And then in 2009, we took a bit of a punt and we thought we'd do a technology and insurance conference. And we had about 30 people turn up. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was saying, technology is never going to impact insurance. It's highly regulated. Yeah. We're all different. Oh, no, it'll never, never happen. Anyway, we, we persevered with it. And... That is now Tintech and Tintech London Market, which we'll talk more about uh, later, uh, which are pretty pretty standard industry events Absolutely. now uh, in the calendar. So, um, yeah, we're pretty pleased that we took that punt and persevered with it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's where we are now. And I'd like to think as well that you deserve some credit, not just for tracking the industry's innovation, but also inspiring some of it, you know, by bringing those people together and poking them with a stick and saying, come on, you've <laughs> got to actually do something with I, this tech. That, that is interesting. And it, it's funny to reflect on it now and to look back on those days where we had to, you know, drag people in, in, into the rooms almost to talk about technology. Um, and maybe there was like a core group of not just us, but people in the industry who really believed that it's not going to, you know, that digital isn't going to impact us. It's going to have a fundamental um, 
kind of change in the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I think once you have that core group of people, you start to build some momentum. And then as time goes on, it becomes evident and people then want to to get on with it. Um, So, yeah, maybe we did play a leadership role in in some of that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it was more luck than than planning but anyway we are where we are well i think one of the things that's really interesting in in that approach in this sort of network centric piece is this recognition that especially with innovation and technology like the industry has to sort of move towards those objectives like together right and i think sort of chatham house rules structure that you guys operate is a perfect environment in which people can come in talk candidly about objectives and challenges but in this sort of like collaborative but they're all competitors but they know that for the sake of the greater good, they need to sort of align on what they're trying to achieve. And, and it's also created quite at times like contentious conversations around the effectiveness of Blueprint 1 or 2, and, but in, a, in an environment that's actually really thought-provoking. I think it's a super, super event that. that. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think people trust it. So we, we don't allow, so just for people who don't know, we don't allow um, any press in the audience or any transcripts to be, to be taken or anything like that. So we, we're not, the purpose of the event is not to create content for a magazine, for instance, which can, especially with senior representatives on the stage, really dampen down what they're going to say. Um, So you get some really nice insights, but I think because we have this discussion-based forum, as you were talking about, that really gets people together and interacting, I think that does generate a different feel and vibe around, around the event. And our kind of whole purpose... I talked about the golden rules, but that's kind of now morphed into kind of enabling positive change. So everything that we do, we kind of always come back to is what we're doing. Is this event that we're putting on going to help people enable that, that positive change? So we always have that kind of core North star guiding kind of principle behind the stuff that we do. We're not, we're not just, although we are uh, in it for the money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's cool. Though. And I, I think it must be quite exciting to look back over the journey you've, you've been on. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear what tech topics were around in 2009 when you first started. But I know you've also been, you know, through a pandemic and gone fully virtual and back again. You know, all sorts of things must have happened over the last 20 years of doing this. Yeah, so... Um... So so that's that's quite interesting. So if if we think back to... The pandemic and you also think quite deeply about it because it's so easy to just forget that terrible time mm. and also you look back and and you see it as a linear linear kind of number of rational decisions that you made mm-hmm. where actually at the time you had no idea what was going on there were huge shifts going on in in the in society that were rapidly happening, information was all over the place and it was just really difficult as, a, as just a business leader to, to kind of make make decisions. And then you throw into the mix that we're a live events company. So what are we going to do? Mm. Um, so, so, you know, I think as a team, I think that's what I always come back to. Everything that we do is around a team effort. We try and bring everybody into uh, those big decisions. We try to get everyone involved in in making making those decisions. Uh, obviously, it's me and Phil that make the final decisions as the, as the business leaders and, and owners. But but if we can grab those perspectives and then we can kind of guide a path. So looking back to that pandemic, so the first decision we had to make was: is it going to be a 
you know, two or three months. Because mm. remember, people were saying, yeah, listen, yeah. by September, this will all be over. That'll be fine. So a lot, a lot of companies did put people into furlough, expecting their events from the summer to kick in in October, November. We thought it, that's the first decision we got right. Mm. You know, we thought it was going to be a longer play than that, um, which turns out to be the correct call. And then... Once you've kind of made that decision, you go, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to furlough or are we going to push forward? Um, and we decided to push forward. We tried to put, put as much as we could uh, online into a, into a digital space. And what what's that? The outcome of that, I suppose, is that we're now in a place where we're not just a live events company. Mm-hmm. We're, a, we're a media company that has digital offering capabilities around uh, research and writing reports as well as the, the live events. So actually putting us in that really uncomfortable place of having to do things differently, which nobody mm. wants to do, yeah. actually drove so much innovation within us and just showed us the art of the possible in terms of once you get a team and they're all galvanized around and you, uh, around a kind of a purpose, and then you put a burning platform underneath them, which says, "If we don't do this right, yeah. I think we might all die." Yeah. Uh, not not dying. Not in the, the literal sense. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah. in business business wise, then um, it, it's incredible what you can what mm. you can achieve. Really. If we look at sort of the markets, then um, ambition around technology, have you seen like an acceleration of that having come out of the pandemic? I think a lot of companies sort of saw they got through it, but kind of barely. Um, are we seeing now is like with the tin tech as an event specifically sort of a, a resurgence of focus on technology innovation efforts and investment in these areas? What is your sort of inside perspective there? So in terms of the way that uh, organizations are now thinking about uh, technology, I would say there's been a step change in in the way that they're approaching technology and what they're open to trying. So if I look back at the first five years of the insurance network, you, you know, we would have the event and at the round tables, there would be a, a core group of people that were still saying, this is not going to impact us. We're a highly regulated industry. You know, you cannot digitize the, the Lloyds and London processes, all this kind of stuff. And I, And there was a point um as mobile started to take over where we kind of just went look this conversation has got to stop Mm -hmm. if you are one of those naysayers you need to leave the room now because we have a bunch of progressive people here who want to drive this conversation forward and i think that helped Mm -hmm. you know by me saying that you know this is the forum for progressive conversation not holding the industry back i then think that the pandemic um that made the industry grab hold of digital in a way they wouldn't have done if it had mm. all been planned um and the kind of success in inverted commas uh, of that so they were they could still trade and everything like that um when everything came back people were more open to the possibility of okay this it, it was pretty good last time around what are the other options and then you couple that into the kind of the world where we're at now where we're at this kind of tipping point into um data advanced analytics into ai which is just supercharged over the last 12 months the conversation Mm -hmm. again and presented a possibility that 
really re-engineering everything that we do in insurance. Mm. Um, yeah, I feel the conversation has moved a long way. I mean, there's there's still pockets of resistance, I would say, to change, but you're always going to have that, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, the majority of people that we have our, at our events, as you know, um, Ben coming along to them, mm. it's about people trying to look at those challenges and and what are the approaches that are going to overcome them. So, yeah, it's really interesting to kind of reflect back and look at that timeline and how things have moved forward. Yeah, completely. I remember thinking back through Tintex, you know, old and, and young, uh, different themes that have come up that the industry has had to sort of grapple with together. So I think my first Tintex, I would have been with Aeon, I looking at the topic of the Internet of Things, right? Which had recently got enough currency to enter the insurance world, and everyone's like, "What do we do with with this? Who who funds the Internet of Things? You know, we think we can put sensors on stuff that might have claims associated with them, but how do we organize our, you know, resources and those of third parties to make this exist? And then you had blockchain came in a bit later, which was this whole other, you know. Pandora's box that we opened and thought, oh, existential crisis, are we all going to be displaced? But it, again and again, and I think it will do again for AI, it provided a forum for people to sort of set, sit together honestly and say, well, how have you got on with this? We've tried this thing and we get hit with this problem or you know, we've started doing robotic process automation and we found it works in this isolated example, but a bit more challenging here. And I think that open conversation has, has really helped guide the in industry towards progressive things they can do rather than, as you say, slamming the brakes on. Yeah. I so I, I'd agree with you to a certain extent, uh, you know, with the examples you pick around big data and blockchain and kind of those little peaks of... Um, I'm going to call them fads, but a little bit yeah. hype that you always get with 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 technology. That the interesting thing I think around AI, and this is my take on it, is that actually it pulls all those kind of buzzwords that we've had for the last five or six years together, and it may be the glue. I don't know. Nobody knows the glue that will pull these different data sources together to create something different. And I also think you can see it through the lens of kind of step changes in technology. So if you think back to the the big changes, so you think about when the internet came along and we had the dot com boom, and we all went through that as as prof young professionals, um, professionals, and then and then we had the other step changes was kind of mobile, and again we've been through that, and now there's a generation of leaders that are kind of my age in their in their in the fifties that are that have been through those two kind of significant evolutions of of technology, and I think have they're grounded in in the fact that these come these things come in cycles. They have big impacts on on organisations for a decade or or a little bit longer, and you need to be able to firstly understand what they are. Um, secondly, how they're going to impact. Um, your organization your customers and kind of the world that you you operate in and then be able to to respond to that effectively mm -hmm. and it might be like a you know through being a, a a cutting edge innovator 
and being the first person to come up with whatever it is in AI in underwriting, whatever, or just a fast follow or, or just actually, no, that's not for us. It's, it's whatever. And having that kind of grounded um, uh, approach to these kind of new technologies, I, th I think is something that stands us in good stead mm. because we've been through them and mm. suddenly we're not a ra rabbit in their headlights uh, and, and caught out by these things. So I, th I think that's, that's quite interesting. I think the other thing, the other interesting thing I would say about AI is that there, it, it's not one thing. You know, the AI is a is a is a discipline, and within that, there are you, you know sort of fields of of research and an application mm. within that. Um, obviously, Gen AI is getting a lot of the the headlines at mm. at the moment, the, and the way that, like you were saying. Ben, when you see it working in a vertical and you can see the proof of concept and that works, mm. that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is kind of horizontal. So there'll be a whole bunch of AI that comes in through Microsoft's 365 with Copilot or any number of bunch of different applications that people use as their workflow. They will just come online and they'll start using them. And so you're not going to have this kind of oh, this is AI, in inverted commas, and we're going to apply it to our business this way, it will come in horizontally and users will start to use Copilot and assistance and all these type of things to, to help them. So there's going to be these multifaceted <laughs> uh, approach to the development of AI, uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see the way that it it kind of comes alive in organizations, I think. Yeah. We're sort of very rapidly approaching sort of Tintech 2024. Like, is this feeling like it's going to be one of the central topics? Or what was your pre-event uh, pre survey looking like? What are the sort of hot topics do you think is going to, are going to be brought up for this year's event? Well, I'm glad you asked me that because oh. hot off the press, uh, literally a, a few hours ago. So I managed to, to pull together the results of the survey. Um as you can imagine, um, artificial intelligence, uh, its integration, the impact that we've just been talking about is is up there, along with kind of data and and analytics. Um, the other hot topics I would say are Blueprint Two. So there is still from from the findings of the the research, um, we can say there's still quite a lot of ambiguity. Uh, within the scope and timelines for both mm. phase one and particularly phase two, because that's been pushed back. Um, so I think clarity around that, and uh, you know, to be fair, Valantic, Lloyds, and, and, and that group have been doing a lot of work in outreach to, to, to put events together to, to try and get the message out there. But I think around the detail, I think it's been really interesting and very helpful for people at the conference to come along and, and have... Um, uh, a session looking particularly uh, at that. The the other areas then are around digital transformation and change. And this is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Um, so I was thinking before I came on the show about kind of this pre-event survey. And I've been running this pre-event survey now for, you know, eight or nine years. So I can probably go back and what I should do is go back and look about how those trends have changed but one thing that has consistently stayed the same i think when it comes to any kind of it technology transformation initiative it always seems to come back to 
the mindset and the people and the culture mm -hmm. around change mm -hmm. rather than the technology. The technology is the enabler and people get a handle on that and they can do it. But actually taking it and implementing it into an organization is really, really tough. Mm -hmm. And it's dynamic and changes all the time as your organization changes and the environment in which you operate. So if I was going to pull one thing out that is kind of a, you know, the, the red line that draws all the pre-event surveys together, it would be that um, how do you overcome the operational challenges to deliver successful transformational change? Mm -hmm. And whether that's technology-led or, or something else, it you know, it makes no difference. But that is key, you know, yeah. and, a, and a real challenge for people. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot on on our show, and we talked in the in the news roundup for January. There's this recognition that the industry talks an enormous amount around the importance of innovation and the investments that they're making in different areas. Um, but when you start to unpack that, you you oftentimes see it's not quite what they sort of make it out to see. And I think part of the reason is, as you say, it's actually really hard to implement these things to get it from a here's something we're committing to as a business to actually a our team is now actioning and behaving differently as a result we've rolled out solutions that are helping us do things so i think there's that there's a delta there between the sort of ambitions of the leadership and what they're actually able to get the sort of frontline teams to to do and are they able to change the behaviors and get them to buy into that having an impact have you seen companies that have done that well or are there like elements of that that these are sort of triggers of success companies who've done this have had a greater success in implementing programs i think having first off kind of the purpose of the organization you know if you i, I really believe this and this is becoming more and more that that the London insurance market has not paid enough attention to actually what what it does and how it helps customers. Mm. And we've we've talked about this tintech about the extended value chain and how far away customers are from from people in that in that chain. And I think people uh, in the past have just been lost, just going, "What am I? Mm. What am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing here? Actually, you know, not what am I doing? I'm inputting mm. data, but." Why am I? Why am yeah. I doing that? What is the purpose? What is the outcome of all this activity? How is it helping somebody else or an organisation or something? And and that that purpose, it, you know, has to be felt across the organisation, from the top to the very bottom and and the other way around as well. It's it's really interesting that that was the answer you came out with because I was about to ask you having heard these themes from you do you think that the, the community in the insurance market has that feeling of purpose right now uh, you know it does feel that like you say at some points that we've got people who are like oh well i know that i've i've got to do this data entry we've got to make you know this better or mm -hmm. i know that x you know process or group of of companies are really struggling or we're really bad at this aren't we but there's not necessarily a clear Therefore, we're going to go this way or that way. How, how do you find it? So, so that I think is precisely what is changing at the moment mm. through through leadership. You look, you look at the the leadership um, in the, those kind of pro progressive organisations, those successful organisations, 
Uh, and the new ones as well, you look at uh, Mosaic and Convex and, and people like that, they, they are going out um, with a purpose and they put marketing behind it. They've, they've got a brand. You know what they're about. I'm sure if you work in those organizations, you you get it all the time and you and you feel it. Um, so I, I think that's really changing. And, and it's not just because um, it's something nice and fluffy to do for organization. I, I genuinely believe if you don't know what you're doing and why you're doing it, you might, you, you'll just leave, right? Yeah. You'll just leave and do something else. Um, and so in this environment where everybody is struggling for, for talent, where the skills that we're going to need to compete in whatever the, the future landscape looks like in a much more data-driven analytics and AI-enabled world, well, you've got to have a pretty compelling proposition to those uh, new employees or your existing employees to keep them there um, if, if you're going to kind of do anything, you know. So, so that... That I think that's crept up the uh, the agenda, um, and as with all these other things, you know, you can't take them in isolation. It's all these things coming together that creates the environment where, you know, something's important, mm. something we need to do right now. So, so yeah, it's re it's really interesting. And when we have these conversations at Tinte, it's so so interesting when when people come up and they and they really do share kind of, listen, I've got this problem. Yeah, you know. What's what's everyone else doing about it? Because it can't just be me, uh, can it? Mm -hmm. Completely. It's funny. I, I think uh, so. Cordy, our producer of the show, um, often says to me recently that in the future there will only be data companies and AI companies uh, in some unknown timeline. I and I guess there's probably a bit of an identity crisis there. For you know, what is an insurance company going to look like if if all that matters is potentially you know slightly mm. different ingredients should we say to what makes an insurance company uh stand out you know and, and like you say i think you've got a few firms in the market who've come out with really strong target identities i guess you know this is what we're going to be and to some extent they're able to push off what they're not going to be as well which is often a picture of some of their competitors yeah but as a whole the market's got to figure out you know what is that new breed of ourselves yeah that we're building I think one of the challenges there's there's something I was reading the other day. And it's kind of to your point, but it was the the number of people who sort of talk very openly about what they don't like and where they they don't like that they don't want to look like that they don't want it to be this way. But if you press them towards like what will you do then instead, they don't have a response. So they're very well equipped to saying, well, that's that all this legacy data they don't have that very well. But when pressed to build an insurance company from scratch it's actually much harder than it looks and i know you know some of those startup insurers which had the benefit of of having no legacy out of the box some of them have hit scale so quickly that they've had no choice but to sort of procure some of those older systems just because they need something that works by by to handle the sort of scale that they're hitting so fast the ambition to sort of roll off of those things but I think it's much easier said than done. And it's very easy to so say, as you sort of alluded to, well, we're not going to be like our competitors who have all of these problems because in 
that ambition, I think, is is valid, but I think it's really hard, especially as you've alluded to as well, um, Jeremy, around the sort of regulatory environments and similar of we actually can't get away without from doing this right now. We need to have something that helps us file regulatory reporting and, and all of these elements, right? So it's it's a, tough to build an insurance company, I think. It is. And, and I think what you're talking about there is kind of the the... The, the technology upon which you are kind of running that that organization um and i agree with you that you know, we are operating in a regulated space you do have to have reports you do have to have the 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 software that can uh, can make the great you know you've, you've got to you've got to have that i think for for me that you know that is fine but why do those organizations get to the point where they are able to scale successfully mm. like that? And that comes down to leadership. And come back to your your initial point where they say, you know, we don't like this, but we're not sure what what we we want to be. That you know, that is leadership and vision. That mm. that comes from people who. You don't just sit on the fence and go, oh, we're, we want to be light to everyone. They go, no, this is this is what we're about. Mm. This is how it works around here. This is what we want to do. And if we can't do it currently on our systems, then we that's our ambition. And uh, if you're the CIO, then I want you to go out and see if we can fix the, the challenges mm-hmm. that you're talking about. If you're ops director, again, this is the purpose. This is where we want to get to. Maybe the technology isn't there right now, but as soon as it is, Man, we want to be moving on there as quickly as possible. So, so that's what I think. That's what it's about, you know. Conviction, effectively. Conviction and and believing in in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. If you were to posit, kind of to to extend on Ben's question, like what does an insurer in twenty years look like? <laughs> wow or, or, a, yeah, or an time undefined network. time horizon but like you're, you're sort of seeing the ambitions you've seen over the last sort of 20 years now sort of the the way the conversation around innovation has evolved the as you said the you're sort of curating those ambitious firms those firms that want to push the boat out who think they can do something better if we begin to sort of compound and have a it will look more like this what are your thoughts on what that could be so I don't really have a view on what a successful organization will look like, but I do, I will come back to those core principles about purpose, leadership, conviction, and, and execution. That mm-hmm. what I do think will change around the London market is kind of, this kind of... I don't know, mindset, I don't quite, I haven't really completely thought this through, but I'm currently thinking is that you cannot build a kind of marketplace for all markets in one place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back to, um, and I was thinking about this today as I was coming in. So I used to, so I grew up in the Northwest. I used to go to Preston Market on a Saturday. I used to, finish work, get my money, and get off at the bus station, press the market. And basically, you could buy anything in Preston Market. Mm. They had anything you wanted. Fruit and veg, you wanted a shirt, you get it. You wanted records, get it. You wanted any buttons, mm. anything. Mm. It was massive, right? Mm. 
Uh, I didn't shop in the market. I went to I went to a record shop, <laughs> our price records, and I, but that's why I bought my records. I didn't go to I didn't want to go to the market because mm. I I really it wasn't mm. my my bag. I would go to a shop, and that mm. that's what I wanted to do. So, I taking that into where we are now. You know, why why are we trying to have a marketplace like Preston Market where you can get everything there, where you could go into I don't know. A small, like a House of Fraser type thing, where it would have a, you know, a kind of a certain yeah. vibe of or certain lines of business, or basically just mini markets within, mm. and and that and the, and behind that, then would you'd have the the right technology, you'd have the right people, you'd you'd have a way of you're not trying to fit square pegs into round holes. It would just kind of that market would meet the need of that cut. Not yeah. uh, those clients, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I, I get a sense. I get a sense of what you're saying from a few people that I talk to about this. It does feel like we've organically created this Preston Market sort of version of ourselves. That now it's become very important for us all to sustain in a particular version of that Preston Market yeah. that, that we all kind of put a lot of value on. I know you think back to like. The London Matters report and so on, where it's like, oh, oh no, what if the London market changes? The only way we can stop it changing is to go really big on Londonisms and technology that sorts it out and so on. But it's interesting. The question was, how do we stop it from being the London we know today? You know, how do, how do we stop it from not being yeah. the London yeah. we know today? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. rather than, well, what should we do next then? Or maybe we should, like you say, instead of a giant. Preston Market, we we have Preston Records and Preston Coffee and yeah, so yeah, on. Yeah. Those, yeah, for sure. Those transitions are always difficult, right? And any, every organization, whether it was, you know, from like Apple that sort of carved most their product line, sort of Steve Jobs returns so like 97, 98, um, whether it's starting businesses like a Tesla or something where it's mm -hmm. like, all we do is this specific thing. We're not going to mm -hmm. try to do everything for everybody. But the benefit of that, and I think you referenced it correctly with like the London Matters report and everything else, is the more refined you are with like what your offering is, the better you're able to communicate specifically what you do for whom and why. And the more you're trying to like, we sort of do a bit of everything for everybody. Like if Preston Market had like a, an advert, it's very difficult to concisely articulate who you're talking to and what you're solving for them. But other sort of more specialist retailers do that exceptionally well. They know exactly the person they're looking for and the the thing that the the pain that that person is solving by coming to their shop. And I think you're right by us trying to be a bit of everything for everybody across the world. We look at how does London fight for more a bigger share of reinsurance because we're losing that, or how do we fight for cyber as that's moving more like onshore in the U.S. Like maybe part of that challenge is the fact that we're so disparate in our the offering and it's so hard to clearly communicate that that it's hard to sort of justify mm -hmm. it all the time we used to have a really fascinating view on this i back in back in this the strategy team of a, a certain large organization in london <laughs> i where you know you looked at the value propositions of the london market as a whole really and a lot of it came down to you know, footfall was one that was was important. I brand was another. I various things about London time zone wise and so on that make it mm -hmm. quite a convenient place to do business. But then there were a bunch of things that were 
originally part of the playbook, which had been replicated everywhere else. So having really good ratings, having underwriting expertise, having you know a standard way of doing contracts, uh, all this sort of thing. It was like, haven't they got that in in Germany or in Singapore or you know anywhere else? And yeah. over time, it's sort of been like, oh, okay, maybe not. And you end up at the point where, okay, the only one that's still standing up here really is is footfall. And the fact that there's a large number of people who are still determined for this place to continue to have lots of footfall, uh, which gives you some really strange priorities at a group level of all these sort of participants in the market combined versus the individuals within that place who also are often parts of larger groups elsewhere, right? Mm. Got somebody here from Big Brokers London Market Arm or Big Insurers Lloyd Syndicate. Yeah. Is it? Is it? You know, does it automatically follow that their priorities should align with the herd locally in in London? Yeah. Lots of tough questions you must deal with. And well, because you're covering, deal with in, you're covering in both sort of syndicate Lloyd's players as well as London market companies at at Tintech, isn't it? Yeah, and beyond. And yeah, guess. beyond. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> big, big big yeah. topics we went deep there uh, yeah um and you know there, there aren't any answers what will happen uh, in my view is that these things will evolve um i think now they've been evolving over a period of time that i think all of us can agree has been far too long mm-hmm. um but i think the world that we live in at the moment it's just moving at a pace that is, um, in many ways, pretty disturbing. So I was having a conversation yesterday with a, um, a software company, oops, a software company uh, in the in the US in New York, and um, I hadn't heard of them before, but they were huge in a number of jurisdictions, mm-hmm. and they were looking to come into. The, the UK, they were doing stuff with AI that was incredible and moving at such a pace that we were talking about the London market. He used to be a, a London market uh, underwriter. Um, and um, he was just saying, you know, around this technology that we're building kind of a, a hub, they were saying, you know, a month ago, 15th of December, mm-hmm. I would have told you that would have taken six to 12 months to build mm. now I, you know we're building it now and it'll be ready in a it'll be ready in weeks mm. because you know the the way that this technology can help technology companies overcome their problem a bit so th- this stuff is moving at at pace and i think will just force people and the other thing i, I would say is that you, you know we are in a in a in a mar- in a subscription market where quite often we're playing together but we're competing at the same time and i do think competition in the end will will win out you know you you mentioned london market and and the expense ratios that we're, mm. we're trying to get rid of in in the london market but you know someone will get that right mm. uh, get that competitive edge and then it'll all start to follow it now in what direction that takes and where it, where it is that's that's all up in the air um so yeah, I mean, it's just a very exciting time to, mm-hmm. to be in kind of tech and ops at the moment and being insurance, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good. 
that's, I think, an excellent pl- place to wrap up. We've got an optimistic outlook on the market. Tintech London event coming up now, so we'll have links to that in the show notes and things. People can sign up to that if they haven't already. I'm sure they all have. Um, but thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute delight. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, look forward to it. Thanks, everyone.